I'd ask Chuck to and to the worship team to do that song Love Comes Down because that's actually Love Came Down because that's actually my message this morning is about love coming down to you and I. And uh, I want to talk with you about how love is applied to our lives and how that God's view of love. You know, love has always existed. It has always, even before mankind was here, love existed because the Bible teaches us that that God is love. And so God being love, you all right over there? (laughs) So because God has always existed, love has always existed. And so to talk about what love is, we have to look at the nature and the heart of God. Everything is from God and everything is to God. 1 John 4, 7 through 10, if you're reading in your Bible or you're taking notes, says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. So it comes from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And if you don't know what propitiation means, it's a big word, it's a big theological term, but it means he was the substitute for our sins. He took, it's a whole reference to the idea of the Old Testament where they took the blood, put it on the scapegoat and, and uh, confessed the sins of Israel over the, over the animal. So Jesus became the propitiation for our sins. He says here that he loved us and sent. So there's two things we have to recognize here. He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You know, man has been trying to comprehend this whole idea of love, what love is. We have songs and songs and songs written about what love is and, and what God's love is and trying to understand the idea behind the love that's talked about in the scriptures. You know, in our, world, in our language, we, we say, I love my mom and I love pizza. We hope that the love you have for pizza is not the same you have for your mom. Or your mom's going to be really disappointed, isn't she? So, <laughs> so when we say I, I love something, we use that word very loosely in our world because that we just that's the way we've been taught to do. I love my I love my house, I love my dog, I love my whatever. So when we talk about what love is and how love is applied to our life, we have to really take a look at what the scriptures teach about love. Now in the old testament. Uh, the word in the Hebrew that was used for love was basically about, it was relational. It was about the idea of two people in a relationship. So when you talk about the word, uh, um, actually in the Hebrew it's ahava, and it means that there is a relationship. They, um, when you'll remember the, uh, the phrase where they said, the Israelites would say, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Well, to love there means you'll You'll love in a relationship with him. You'll love him with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. Now, Jesus comes along, and he is preaching. And remember that Jesus didn't preach in Greek. Jesus preached in Aramaic. And so the word for 
love in Aramaic would have been, um, would have meant that like a fire burning, you know, to be warmed or to be set on fire. So their understanding, the Aramaic idea that Jesus would have been talking about with love would have been uh, that you love God by, you're warm towards him or you're fi- you're, you have a fire in your heart towards him. But then the, the, as God began to inspire the writing of scripture and it's of course being put into the Greek language, the Greeks had a whole bunch of words for love. They had, the, they had the idea of agape, phileo, um, they had the idea of storge, and then they had the idea of eros. Now eros is one that most love songs are written about. It's about passionate love, that pe- to, between a man and a woman. Um, when you talk about storge, that's a love, a filial love of relationship that you have in, it typically only goes towards family members, okay? so. You know, you can love your family, but not like your family. Right. But you're still in a relation. You get the idea here? Like, you don't get to choose who your family is, right? You're in it, right? And so that's storge. That's this love that, you know, we're, we're in this. We're in this relationship. I'm part of that family. You know, I have family members I don't necessarily like to claim our family, but they're still family. So, I guess you're not like me. <laughs> Phileo is, a, is, an, a, is an affection, is a brotherly affection. You know, we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So, when we talk about, the Greeks would talk about Phileo, they would talk about this filial love, this, this not necessarily, you know, um, amorous love, but a love that two people have bonded together, committed to the same things. And then the next one would be, of course, agape, which this was the representation that, the, that God inspired the writers of Scripture in the New Testament to use as their definition for what love is, agape. And so when we talk about agape, you know, in your, if you read a King James Version Bible, you get a little bit better, um, you know, a little bit better understanding of this, because when it when it talks about love, and you know the great chapter on love is 1 Corinthians 13, right? So 1 Corinthians 13 says the way they used it was not love, but they used the word charity, okay? Now charity takes on a lot of connotations in our society, but typically what would you define charity as? Charity is, is that you're giving something to someone getting nothing in return. You know, when you do charity, now, you know, of course, you get tax returns and things like that, but when you see a person in the Salvation Army out ringing the bell and you put money in the pot, you're not going to get a receipt for that. You're putting, you're giving, and you're, you're giving to something to help them help someone, and you're not really getting anything in return for what you have done. Now, there's a lot of reasons why people do that, obviously, the you know, the feeling bad for people that are struggling or, um, you know, it's a habit. Some people, it's part of their Christmas uh, attitude that, you know, I want to give in the pot to help or I want to give special offering to help out other people. But the real reason that we do charity, that the real idea of charity is because we are responding to God in the way he has responded to us. How has God responded to us? Well, look, God did everything he did, whether you believe in him or not. God provided, I mean, he bled and died on a cross, came into this world. I I mean, you think about 
I mean, he was basically rejected by his enemies. He was rejected by people. And it's still, in all the rejection that he dealt with, he still died for all of them. And gave his life and shed his blood and went into heaven and put it on the throne so that all who would believe on him could have eternal life. So when we talk about what real love looks like here, you know, he says there in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. Uh, there's no way we could know what love. Love is a response to the love that we have been shown. Charity is a response, should be a response to the love that we have been shown in our lives. The way you love God is by loving others. The way you, and, it's, and, it's, and it has everything to do, not with words, but with actions. It's not about just saying, I love you. You know, the, the, the Bible talks about that in the book of uh, James. He says, look, don't just say, be warmed and be filled. Get some money out of your pocket and buy them some food. Pay their utility bill. Help them out. See, that's charity because what we're doing in that, that's what love, that's what agape looks like. And this is a really hard one for us. And I, I'm going to get into this a little bit. The Lord really challenged me about this. He's, this is what he said. Most of the church does not understand that love is not acceptance. See, that's where we get confused is because we try to make love all about acceptance. That I, you know, I, if, I, if I love you, then I accept you the, the way you are. No, 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 no. That is not true. Love is not acceptance. Love, but love is, love is loving those you don't accept. And that's a lot harder because there's a lot of people that you don't accept. There's a lot of things. See, we get this confused so often. You know, it's like, um, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, uh, some friends of ours, Josh and Sarah Ellis, they had, they lived down in the Toledo area. And so there was a, was a big AIDS march and they came and said, we, we'd like to be a part of it. And the first question they got from the the people that were pulling it together, because there was a lot of gay and lesbian people pulling this together, and they said, why are you here? What's your motive? What are you trying to do? Because, see, what do they think? Because what they think is that you're trying to come in and convert us to your way of thinking. What they're doing is they're loving God by loving people who are struggling. AIDS is a serious thing. And so what are they trying to do? They're trying to help them show love to these people, not just by accepting. They said, look, they didn't agree with what was happening. They're not going to sign a thing that says, I agree, uh, you know, with this. You know, it's just like um, we had a choice whenever we were setting up our, our, um, setting up our uh, Google, you know, with Google. One of the things, if you want to do a nonprofit with Google, they make you sign a thing that you'll accept all LGBTQ as normal. I wouldn't sign it, so we'll pay the money. Now look, love is not acceptance. We don't accept, I'm just using that as one example, but we don't accept wrong. We don't accept in our world that there are people that are our neighbors that voted, you know, voted to, to have political leaders that believe in abortion. We don't accept that. I don't accept that. I hope you don't accept that. 
But what we do is, is that we love those we don't accept. And love is an action word, so it means that, so I got to do good to people I don't necessarily accept. And see, the church has gotten, the Lord really challenged me about this. He says, the church has gotten so confused over that because we, we don't know how to love somebody without accepting what they do, what they do or who they, what, they're, what they believe. We should be able to be with people because let me tell you something. God is with you even though he does not accept your nonsense. And if you think your doctrine is absolutely pure and that your whole lifestyle is absolutely, you're deluding yourself. Because when we take you and lay you down next to the presence of the power of, the, of our God, look, the holiness of God far outreaches the holiness of our lives. You and I, all, we all know that. But what does God say? God isn't saying, well, I love you, and love to him means, well, I accept you just like you are. Just be however you want to be. It's okay. You want to live that way, it's okay. That's not what God says at all. God says to you and I, I love you. I'm going to do all this for you in spite of the fact that you're doing all this stuff that I totally disagree with. So when we say, how do we measure love for God in our lives? We measure our love for God by the people we love the least. And you just throw in there, because all of us have a, probably a people group that's in our love the least list. Right? Could be Republicans, could be Democrats, could be LGBTQ, could be pro-life, pro-choice. For some people it's racism, that they, there are people that they just don't like. They don't like Hispanics, they don't like African Americans, they don't, I, they don't know them, but they don't like them. Now here's the thing. What we as God's people are required to do to show God love is to love them. This is a good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. This is really awesome. Maybe this is too deep for the 830 crowd. I don't know. But Love is not acceptance. So you ought to be able, and I, I have to do this because I have family members that, you know, that practice things that I definitely do not accept. And I have to look them in the face and I have to say, look, I don't accept what you do, but I love you, so my, my lifestyle towards you is going to be to help you to pray for you, uh, to, to not, you know, what do we like to do with people we don't accept? Cut them off, right? We, that's what we really like to do. Just, could you imagine if God had done that to us? Just said, look, you know what? Your life, you're just too messed up. So I would just, I'm taking you out of my directory. I'm removing you off the contact list. When you text me, I don't even know who that is anymore. Right. But that isn't what God did at all. In fact, God kept you in his directory. God, God keeps all people in his directory. The Bible says that not even a sparrow falls to the ground without him knowing it. So 
look, he, he cares about people so much. So what do we have to do in the response? See, when we talk about the whole Christmas story, about this great love, I want you to think about it just for a minute, that God came in the form of a baby for people that would, uh, would mistreat him, would abuse him, would kill him, and would reject him. They would reject everything that he said. They would reject everything that he stood for. You know, when Jesus reached out to the woman that was caught in adultery, his response to her was, where are your accusers? Not, look, you're wicked. Uh, you know, you know you're a bad person. You know you did wrong. He never said anything about any of that. All he said is, go and don't sin anymore. Come on. So what did he do? Pe people could have looked at that and said, well, he didn't correct her. He didn't tell her to quit. You know, he didn't correct her for all her past sins. Well, see, the love of God, what God does is he moves towards action to move us to a place he wants us to be, not to push us back to where we've been. Man, that's powerful right there. That was worth the, well, that was worth the price of admission right there. Matthew 25, 40, what do we do with this? Jesus talking about this, this king saying, in the end, he will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And then, man, you take the next side of it, and he says, look, if you don't do it, then you're not doing it to me. So if you say that you love Jesus, you love God, how do you respond? You do it by loving people that God loves. Not loves what they do, loves them. Hallelujah. Which totally, which we, you will find, and I don't have time to get into this this morning, but what you'll find is as we move closer to the return of Christ, that men will become lovers of themselves. So what will happen is, the in, in, this is in 2 Timothy 3, you can look this up on your own, but the, the first thing he says is that men, it'll be stressful times because men will be lovers of themselves, first thing, which will lead to all these other things that are in the list. And so what is that that's totally contradictory to the love and nature of God? That when we are, when the church becomes about being lovers of themselves, they big build, build big buildings and have big programs for them. When the church decides that we are going to be lovers of what God loves, then we find ways to help those who are outside the church. And it becomes less about us and more about who can we help, who can we reach out to. You know, I love one of my favorite things to do, and I, I've shared this before from the pulpit, but I, I love going to Chicago and Detroit and taking money with me to give out, just to put in, you know, put in people's buckets, you know, the people. And, and look, you can play the whole game with, well, you know, it's all business and it's all, a, you know, they're, who knows what, they're buying drugs with it and on and on. That's nothing, that's not any of my business what they're doing with it. Because charity is that I am blessing them because they have no way, at least in my understanding, to bless themselves. So I'm helping them. And so I'm giving, I put money in their bucket. Now here's the thing, I have never done that, ever, and never, had one, never not had one person say, no matter how poor and destitute they were and how smelly they were 
and how messed up they were. I've never had one of them not say, God bless you. So see, I'm doubly blessed because they blessed me. Plus, I know my father appreciated that in heaven because I did something for someone to get. I didn't, if they would have said, you know, you're a jerk or whatever, would that have really mattered? No, it really wouldn't have mattered because what I'm doing is I'm loving God through loving them. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, who are we loving in our lives? Who are we loving? Are we loving those that love us or are we loving those who don't love us? And I can tell you, there's probably more people that don't love you than do love you. They just don't tell you. Okay? Because you stand, if you stand for anything, you've already ostracized somebody. I mean, if you stand for anything, if you stand for Christian values, I promise you, there's people, you know, you say, well, they never say anything. They, they say they love me. Well, they might say that. But, you know, it's like I was thinking, I was telling Sharon this morning, I learned a long time ago that people that tell me I'm a good preacher, they tell other people that they're good preachers that aren't good preachers. What does that do to me? That's humbling, isn't it? Because people are not. What do you want them to say? You're a lousy preacher. They're not going to say that, right? They're going to say, well, that was really good. That was, that was awesome. Usually what I do is like if I really feel like messing with people, I say, well, what did I say? I don't know, but it was really good. It was, it was really good. <laughs> so be careful. If you tell me I preached a good sermon, I'm going to ask you, well, what was it I said that was good to you, Right? Jesus said, if you do it under the least of these. What's the great example that Christ sets for us about loving when he washed his disciples' feet? When he got down on the ground, and it was hard. They didn't want to let him do it. But he got down on his knees and put a towel and washed their, the dirtiest part of their body. He washed it and said they had a part in him. He said, now go. What was his response? Now go and you guys do this. Go do this. So you know, when, I, when we think about Peter and James and John and these great disciples and what they were doing and the, and the Apostle Paul, the nature of what they were doing was all based out of love for what God had shown them. So they were loving God by loving people. They weren't loving people to love God. They were loving people because they loved God, because they, they wanted God, they wanted to... They wanted in their lives, they needed to respond in that love to help to God by loving those who were in the world. So when Paul stands up on the, you know, stands up on Mars Hill and he's preaching the gospel and telling people and they reject what he said and he doesn't, he doesn't go, oh man, that, I'm telling you, that stinks. I'm quitting because they hurt my feelings. No, what his response was, Look, they rejected this. Obviously, there are people that don't like me, don't like what I have to say. But you know what? I'm going to keep loving them because God has loved me when I was killing some of his people. Amen. So how do we respond to that love? How do we respond to the love? Bob Goff is a great writer. If you've never read any of Bob Goff's books, you should read his one on love, at least. It's so powerful because he made this statement. He said, but the kind of love that God created and demonstrated is a costly one. 
Because one, it involves sacrifice, and two, it involves presence. Presence, not presents like you know Christmas gifts, presence, being there. It's a love that opera- operates more like a sign language than being spoken outright. It's that we're present, that we're, that we're with people, that we don't mind being with people. I remember one time we were over in Frankenmuth and we happened to be amongst a group of, uh, uh, of uh, gay and lesbian couples. And not that that's a practice of ours to hang out in those environments, but it was that day. And there was a preacher, if you've ever been in Frankenmuth around the Christmas time, there was a preacher standing on a box just condemning everybody to hell. Everybody's going to hell. You know, if you don't, you know, get in the street here, repent of your sins, and just, you know, very, very, very critical, very nasty, just calling out the sins of people and saying, and one of the, one of the gay young men in the groups, he, he looked at me and he said, do you really think Jesus was like that? And I said, well, here's the thing. I don't think that was the way that Jesus conducted himself, but I, but I understand why the, what this guy is all about. This is how he understands people turning to God and getting in a relationship with God. But I don't necessarily condone the way he's doing it, okay? And it started a dialogue. It opened up a door of, of opportunity. Not that I'm accepting anything that this individual was doing, but it is a way. We have to be present with people if we're going to help people. It's what Josh talked about last week. You can't, look, you can't just ignore groups of people because you don't like what they do or how they are. You know, I started doing prison ministry. I remember when I started out, man, I was going to St. Louis and I was preparing my sermons and getting ready. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, I was feeling so high and mighty going in to help these heathens in the prison ministry. You know, man, I was ready. I was loaded for, you know, I was loaded for grizzly bear. I'm ready to go in. And I get in there, and, and I felt, and I have, I've had the Lord do this to me before, I felt undone. Now, you have to understand, that's just like this feeling of totally inadequate. And I'm like, God, what is going on? He said, I want you to recognize, son, you're looking out at these guys and you think you're better than them, but I want you to remember back the life that you lived because you could be one of them today if it wasn't for the work that I've done in your life. And I'm telling you, it broke, it, I got up there, you know, wanting to be this great, powerful, awesome man of God bringing the, you know, the great message of salvation evangelism to the heathens in the prison. And I stood up there in front of those men and I wept and said, guys, were it not for the grace of God, I would be here with you today because of the things. I am so fortunate in my life that I did not get thrown in here into prison for the rest of my life for some of the things that I did in my life. See, how do we love? We love by recognizing that were it not for the grace of God, where would we be today? And I don't care, you may be a, been a good person before Christ. There's lots of good people that go to hell. But where would your life be without the grace of Christ? Now think about it. Who do we reach out to? Who do we love? Who do we help? How do we respond to that love in our lives? Amen? So what's the the Bob Goff saying that, look, it's a love that operates like a sign language. Let's be with people. Let's help people. Let's, let's care about people. 
My, my mother was a waitress, and uh, I don't know what they call them today. I'm assuming it's waitress. They changed the term so fast I can't keep up with it anymore. But she was a server, and she is raising four kids at home, you know, by herself. We're, my dad is barely paying child support. And so she's, she's making about, in, in, this would have been like in 1968, she's making about uh, close to six, $7,000 a year, raising four kids. Three of them boys that eat, could eat everything. We never had food in the house because we ate it all, right? <clears throat> and I realized that for my mom, what she went through and what she did, she would work till 2, 3 in the morning, come home, stay awake sometimes to get us off ready for school. Then she would sleep while we were at school. Then she would get up, spend a little bit of time with us, try to get us some dinner, bring a sitter in, and then she would have to go back out to work. And that's how, that's how she raised us. We were raised in the projects of Akron, Ohio, a place called Hillwood Homes that uh, has been totally renovated now. They're nice now, but back then they were like nothing. They were terrible. And... Um, we had one heater in one room that heated the whole, you know, the whole complex of where we, li where we were at. Uh, we had a three-bedroom uh, little apartment. So my mom, she worked her heart out. And I saw, I had the opportunity to, to hear stories about how people would treat her because their steak wasn't done right or because the food didn't get there fast enough or, you know, that they, 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 they just, something that, ticked them off about what was happening and, and how that they would, I'm not giving you a tip or I'm not going to do I heard all that. So what does that do to me? It shows me that every person that's out there that's a server in a restaurant, they got a story behind them. You know, it's what we talk about here in the hallway with the 525. Everybody's got a story. You don't know what their backstory. You don't know that that little girl that's waiting on your table could actually have three kids at home and, and she doesn't have any support coming in except for what she's making right there. And so she, she's, she could very well, you know, this is, this is putting food on the table for her babies. And we want to gripe and complain because they didn't get the salad dressing to the table the way we asked them to bring it. And that's really what's important? Well, I'm paying for that. I should, and absolutely, you are paying for it. But could we find ways to measure what we're doing with kindness and understanding instead of being, and I'm just using that as one example, instead of being critical and nasty? I learned a long time ago, you'll catch way more flies with honey than you ever will with vinegar. <laughs> Amen? And being sweet. Do you know that every year, I, and it, this is such a great testimony, every year my mother worked at a place called Leon's Restaurant, which is gone now in, in Akron. And every year on Christmas Eve, there was an elderly gentleman that would come in there to eat. And my mom would serve him, at the, and uh, he would leave her a $100 tip every year. Now, in, if you a $100 tip, because she didn't, hadn't bought Christmas presents yet. She hadn't got the Christmas dinner. There wasn't... There wasn't anything yet, but she would get that $100. You know, today that would equate from 68 to 2020, that's about $768. So just so you have a comparison, when was the last time you left a $768 tip for a woman you don't know who's raising four kids, and maybe he did know and didn't know that she even had kids? Wanted nothing else, 
She never saw him all year. He only came in at Christmas time. Could have been an angel from heaven for all we know. But we had one whale of a Christmas every year because my mother took that $100 and she went on a spending spree. I'm not saying she was the best at saving money because <laughs> she wasn't. But I'll tell you what, she was generous and she would help people. See, love is not that we just talk about how much we love God. Love is when we do things. How do I love my God? I love him by loving those I love the least in life. Who do I love the least? Is it a family member? Could be right now. Is it a people group? Could be. But can we find a way? You say, well, how do I get there, Pastor? I mean, I don't know how to even get to that point. How do I love somebody I love the least? Here's the really amazing thing about it. We'll wrap up. You start by praying for them. You start by praying for them. And the way that you pray for them is not by praying against everything they're doing or have done to you. You know, like the one woman, we told her, don't do this, but the, she had to say it. She was going into a meeting, and the way she, with some people that had hurt her feelings, and she said, I just want you to know I forgive all of you for what you did to me. Okay, that is not the way to start a prayer, okay? The way that you start a prayer is just that, Lord, I come before you grateful for what you've done for me, and I pray, Lord God, that the same grace that's been shown to me, that you would show it to this person, that you would, whoever it is, you know, let's say it's, I don't want to use, I hate using names because we've got a Hank here and we've got a Jeff here and we've got a, I mean, there's so many names. If I say Nancy, we've got a Nancy, so you start, you know, a Loretta. We, I mean, I could take all kinds of names. But here's the thing. I pray for Chuck, Lord, that you, Lord, would, would bless Chuck, that you would help Chuck. I, I I don't have time to get into this this morning, but if you ever want to do a really cool study, go to the book of Job at the end, okay? And in the last chapter, when it talks about Job, you know, Job's gone through all this stuff. He's lost everything, health, everything. The only thing he didn't lose was his wife, who she was, she was a bad egg, okay? She didn't have good things to say. And, and uh, everything's gone. And Job... He's, he's like, okay, God shows up and says, look, I'm going to help you, and I'm going to tell you how I want to I help you. I want you to pray for your friends. That's how we'll do this. I'm going to, I'm going to have you pray. Look, that had to have been the hardest thing for Job to do because all they had done was blamed and criticized him for the problems that he had. Whoa. You talk about somebody you love the least, somebody that's just been in your face for day after day, and they're just saying, this is your fault. Well, dummy, you did this to yourself. You made your own bed. Now you got to sleep. I mean, they're just, on, these guys, they're all, look, you did this. God, after you, because you're just a bad dude. You did the wrong stuff. And Job's like, no, I'm not bad. And they're like, you're bad. You, you just, and God shows up and says, he corrects these guys and tells them, look, you guys are wrong. Shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. But then he turns to Job and says, now I want you to pray for them. See, it all starts with prayer. Because when you pray, and I'm not talking about pray, prayer of correction over anybody, but when you pray for them, and you say, Lord, I want your will in their life. 
I want you to help them. Help me love them like you love them. Now that's a prayer that God will answer. Because it's not about you, and it's all about them. And it's all about you loving your God the way he has loved you. Can you say amen? amen. I want you to stand with me, please. Thank you, Father. Did you learn anything about the love of God today? Yeah. yeah. Wow. To me, when we stand before his love, it's the most humbling thing I think we could ever do because we realize with everything that we fall short in, he made up for. Every debt we owed, he became that debt. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. He paid a debt he didn't owe. We needed him to do that for us. There was nothing we could do. There was not one righteous act. Even if we would have died for what we did, it wouldn't have paid for our sins. But the great love of God, who didn't owe any single debt at all, had no reason to come except to say, I want my people free. I want my creation free. I want my creation free. I want to give them the opportunity to be free in their lives. And that great love that he showed us by coming as a baby and that great love that he showed us by dying on a cross. You know, it's believed. It's an amazing thing. And it's just something for you to think about during the holidays. I might talk about this on Thursday a little bit. You know, Jesus wasn't born, born in a barn. If you really look at where he was born, he was more than likely born in a cave. He was born in a cave, and he was buried in a cave. And he rose from the dead out of a cave for you and I. How powerful is that? He didn't come into the best of circumstances, but he didn't care. Because his love for you and me was greater than his own comfort, his own security, you know, having everything in life taken care of. May we operate this holiday season throughout this week. You're going to run into people, talk to people. You know, you're going to have people yelling at you because you don't have a mask on. You're going to have people yell at you because you do have one on. <laughs> Welcome to the United States of America. But here's the thing. Because of that, don't fight about it. Love them the way God has loved you. Be compassionate. Realize if they have an issue, there's a reason they've got an issue. So love them. Amen. Do good to them. Hallelujah. And pray for them. Not that their eyes would be open and they would see it your way. Because <laughs> that's how we'd like to pray, isn't it? Let's be honest. But we pray that they would see it God's way. Father, I pray blessing. Come on up, Chuck. Lord, I pray blessing right now. Lord, I know that it can be such a challenge in life, Lord God, to love the way that you love. But Lord, may our hearts truly, Lord God, have that perspective of the love that you have shown us. Oh my goodness, God, such great love. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. And may that love compel us, Lord God, wherever we go, whether it's at the market, Lord, or it's somebody that we're a retailer or a restaurant or whatever we're doing, Lord God. May we, Lord, may the hallmark of our lives 
be the love that we have for your people. And I ask that in Jesus' name. And all those agreed said, amen. amen. Chuck? Pastor, just so you know.